It makes me really happy when I can have conversations with people, when I can even realize that the Sunday school lesson that I'm going to be teaching on Sunday morning dovetails perfectly with the sermon that was planned for this Sunday morning months ago. Uh, And without dropping a name, I'll tell you, I've heard uh, several different things this morning. One, I've heard somebody tell me that they heard the song in Christ alone today on the way to church. I love that song. Joyce plays it before a lot of our services that, that we have. Joyce, uh, I love that she does. She plays it on the piano so that you can you know, hear the music to In Christ Alone, a song about how Jesus is our only hope uh, before God. We can, we can hear that. Uh, I studied the Sunday school lesson and, and taught the Sunday school lesson this morning. We used Gospel Project in our class, and we were talking about the Jerusalem Council when Paul and Barnabas had to go to Jerusalem and argue amongst some Pharisees and the rest of the church elders who believed that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And they argued, no, that it was Jesus alone, not Jesus plus. Is there anybody in here this morning other than me that it is happy that we are saved in Christ alone and not by Christ plus? I am happy that I'm saved by Jesus alone and not by Jesus plus. But you know, there's kind of a, there's kind of a dark underbelly to that understanding. And let me explain what it is. Is that we are perfectly happy for it to be Christ alone and Jesus alone when it's us. But in our darkest, most immature spiritual moments, which by the way, we all have them. Am I, am I the only one that has spiritually immature moments? No, okay. We all have spiritually immature moments. In those spiritually immature moments, Christ alone is good enough for us, but it needs to be Jesus plus something else for other people to for for us to be pleased with others. That we're happy for God has accepted me on the basis of Jesus, but I will not accept them on the basis of Jesus. I will accept them if they have faith in Jesus and they also do things that make me happy. I will accept them if they have faith in Jesus and they also uh, comport themselves well in public. We come up with these extra sets of rules at the same time. And that's, y'all, that's not, I'm not saying that is Stapleton Baptist specific. I'm saying that is human specific. We do this because we're people. And you're going to see tonight, tonight, it's morning, huh? You're going to see this morning... That it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how mature you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking by the Lord. This is a danger that you can fall into. That every Christian is in danger of falling prey to legalistic hypocrisy. Anybody ever heard, heard the group DC Talk? At all? Christian Rock? I love DC Talk. If you, if you want to be educated in the world of early 90s Christian Rock, I will let you listen to like three albums later if you want to. They're great. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that they said on one of their songs, and I have not written this down. I thought about it too late, but the quote has stuck with me. Is one of the, one of the worst things for the church in the world today is Christians who honor Jesus with their lips, but then walk out and deny Him by their actions. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. That quote has stuck with me ever since I heard it at the beginning of that song, which ironically is titled, What If I Stumble? It's about hypocrisy, about the damage that hypocrisy can do. So I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the second chapter of Galatians. 
And we're going to read today about one of the most famous names in all of the history of Christianity, falling prey to legalistic hypocrisy, and what Paul did about it. So, if you are in the second chapter of Galatians, stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word. We will start in verse 11, and we will go down through verse 16. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Father, I pray that you will give us the grace to understand this and to live it in our lives for the growth and glory of your kingdom, even if it costs us our own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Legalistic hypocrisy. This is such an interesting passage to me because it, it almost looks like apostle versus apostle. It looks like a knockdown drag out between Paul and Peter, except it's not a knockdown drag out because Peter doesn't fight back. And I think there's a good reason for that. I think it's because Peter knew he was wrong. Paul calls him out. Legalistic hypocrisy is dangerous for multiple reasons, but it's probably most dangerous. Because the farther one progresses down the path of life walking with Jesus, we can trick ourselves into believing that we are less and less likely to commit this error. The more mature we are, the less likely we think we are to commit it, which actually means we are more likely to commit it. We let our guard down. We don't think about it. We treat it like, oh, that's something that I would have done back when I was a baby in the faith. When do you know what? In reality, it's the babies in the faith who are least likely to do this. And it's the folks who have been walking with Jesus the longest that are most likely to do this. So I think it's worth looking at this passage where Paul talks about legalistic hypocrisy and point out what makes it so dangerous. First, I want us to see that even the greatest of us can fall prey to hypocrisy. And if you want to get the, the spirit in which I wrote the greatest of us, if you're making notes on your handout that you picked up, you can put little quotation marks around greatest. There's not really a greatest of us. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for six minutes. There's not a greatest of us. If you want to get the spirit in which I have placed this on your handout, you can put little quotation marks or you can draw a little laughing face beside greatest because there is no such thing. But it's when we think of ourselves as the greatest of us, that's when we're in most danger of doing this. Look at verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, who was Peter? Peter was one of the twelve. He was one of Jesus's... Jesus had several hundred disciples. 
People that followed him and listened to him teach and learned from him and even followed him into Acts. But of those couple hundred disciples who faithfully stuck with him, he had the twelfth. These were the men that he spent the bulk of his life with. 24 hours a day. When they traveled around, they were sleeping in the same building as him. They were eating meals with him. They were traveling with him. He taught them personally. These were the men he was grooming to be the leaders of the church after his ascension. Peter's one of the twelve. And even inside the twelve, you had what some scholars call the inner circle. That these were the men that of even the twelve, Jesus spent the majority of his time with, and there's really three guys, Peter, James, and John. You'll recall these three, if you remember the, the Mount of Transfiguration, these were the three that were up there and saw Jesus in his glory. Peter has seen Christ clothed with his heavenly glory. Y'all, there's not many people on this side of glory that can say that. Peter has experienced that. This is the man that made the confession... When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but rather my Father in heaven. Peter made the great confession. And yet, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul withstood him to his face. Why? The next words. Because he was to be blamed. Even Peter, with all of this resume, one of the twelve, one of the inner circle, seen Christ in his heavenly glory, made the great confession. If you're a Catholic, you even think he's the first pope. Paul looks at him and goes, Peter, you missed it. What did Peter do that caused Paul to his face now? This was not a, a little private discussion that Paul had with Peter. Paul called him out publicly to his face because he said he was to be blamed. And what was it he was to be blamed for? Verse 12, for certain men came from James. Now, who was James? James was the brother of Jesus, but more important than that for this, more important than that really in general, because James grew up with Jesus and didn't realize he was the Messiah until after the ascension. So you can kind of put that aside. That didn't do him any good for 33 years. But after he came to Christ, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. If you look at Acts 15, he stands up during the Jerusalem Council to speak pastorally. So men came from James, that's Luke saying, or that's Paul rather, we're in Galatians, that's Paul saying, well, they came from James, they came from Jerusalem, which means they probably had a Jewish background. When the men came from James, he, uh, before they came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. When the Jews were not around, Peter had no problem eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So you got a picture of this guy who, when none of these folks from Jerusalem, none of these Jews are here, 
He's perfectly happy to go to the barbecue social with the Gentiles. He doesn't care about it. He's fine. He's perfectly comfortable. But as soon as he gets wind of the fact that the Jews are coming, who most of them probably still, because they were raised this way, are still keeping the dietary laws. They're still keeping ritually pure. They're still not touching or going places that would be ritually unclean under Jewish law. What does Peter start doing as soon as they show up? These same people he was eating with yesterday, he won't even go into their house today. Why? Well, because the Jews might see him. What would they think? It might ruin my reputation. Well, you didn't care about that before they got here. Now, this is special because Peter, if you remember his relationship with the Gentiles, Peter is the very apostle that in Acts 10, this is not on your handout, but I will give you the verses. You can go back and check if you want to make sure I'm not lying to you. In Acts chapter 10, specifically in verses 9 through 16 and 34 and 35, Peter is the one that God gives the vision telling him, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Peter, you need to go to Cornelius. You need to share the gospel with this Gentile. And then once he shares the gospel, Peter can't even get it out of his mouth completely before God saves Cornelius, his entire household, fills him with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, can you withhold water from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just like us? This is in the face of the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 where Peter stands up in front of the entire gathered assembly and says, Men, elders, we've already seen God save these Gentiles apart from the law. We've already seen God work wonders and miracles among them. And then here's the kicker. Peter says, Why are we going to place a yoke on them that's heavier than any of us were able to bear? And yet, what is Peter doing in Antioch? What did he do? He has segregated the Gentile believers out for not doing what he has spent the majority of his ministry saying they don't need to do. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Even Peter... Of course, Peter has always been shoot first, ask questions later. That's, one of, that's why he's one of my favorite disciples. You know, I'll chop a guy's ear off and then find out if he deserved it afterward. Peter's talking out of both sides of his mouth, y'all. There's no other way to put it. He's saying Gentiles don't need to keep the law over here. And then over here he's saying, but I'm not going to associate with them unless they do. He was to be blamed. And remember, it's not that Peter is misinformed or immature. He's one of the first disciples. He walked with Jesus during his entire earthly ministry. He saw Jesus and his heavenly glory. He's not an immature, young, uninformed believer. He's one of the pillars of the church. And he still played the hypocrite. And what was the result? And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Because Peter fell into legalistic hypocrisy, all of these other Jews fell in the same as him. Why? 
Peter's greatness, quote-unquote, is now working against him. Well, if Peter does this, then I probably ought to do this too. Because surely that's right. So much so that even Barnabas... Flip over to Acts 11. Let me give you a little bit of Barnabas' background. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. Ironically, in Antioch, then news of these things, the fact that Gentiles are being converted, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. That Barnabas has had this great, that's chapter 11, 22, and 23 in Acts, uh, if you want to see that about Barnabas. He has seen the grace of God in the life of these Gentiles. He's experienced the wonders that God's doing among them. He encourages them and says, y'all keep going. But then when Peter shows up and Peter starts playing the hypocrite, Barnabas gets sucked into it. Well, I'm just going to hang back from these Gentiles now. God, you keep doing stuff with them. Just, I'm going to stay back because I have to protect my reputation. I don't want to be seen with those people. Well, can't God save them? Absolutely, and I hope He does, and I'll watch from a distance. Legalistic hypocrisy to such a degree that it even affected Barnabas, one of the initial missionaries to the Gentiles, had been convinced to separate himself from the Gentiles. Hypocrisy. You know, Jesus had a special angry place in his heart for hypocrites. I've never done this on your handout, but look at what I listed in Matthew chapter 23. That's because all of these parts of these verses say the same thing. Matthew 23, 13a, 14a, 15a, 23a, 25a, 27a, and 29a. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a Greek word for someone who played in a drama. A hypocrite had a mask. That they would come out on stage and they would put the mask up. And the mask referred referred to the audience what character they were playing. And one person may play any number of characters. All they had to do to change characters was change the mask. Hypocrites. When Jesus says you're a hypocrite, what He means is you're changing masks. You're one person now, and then you change your mask and you're another person, and then you change your mask and you're another person. Here's the danger, y'all. Eventually, we can build up so many masks that we forget what's under them. (laughs) Who are you really anymore? Jesus had special frustration for hypocrites. The definition I looked up says, one who puts on a mask and feigns himself to be what he is not. Job 8.13 says, the hypocrite's hope shall perish. And in Matthew 23, which I encourage you to read as far as hypocrisy is concerned, I tried to pick one passage, one uh, 
passage of what Jesus said in Matthew 23 that summed up, I think, what he was trying to accomplish in calling out hypocrisy. It's verses 2 and 4 of Matthew 23 where Jesus says, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that and do. That do. He says, as far as what they're telling you to do, a lot of it right. He's talking to the Jews. He says, a lot of what they tell you about the law, they get right. But whatever you do, do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move one of them with their fingers. Guys, we run a huge risk particularly for those of us who have been walking with Jesus the longest time. Here's the reason why we run the risk of doing what Peter did. Think of everything Peter had that was a benefit to him. Think of all of the experience with Christ that would have given him confidence and boldness in his faith. Think of everything he knew, everything that Jesus had done to and for him. Walking with Jesus for a long time, you grow in confidence of your faith. You grow in the peace that Christ has given you. But do you know what else happens over time? If you know Jesus Christ, what He's going to do over the years of your life is the Holy Spirit who lives in you by virtue of the fact that you know Jesus, He is going to gradually cull sin out of your life. He's going to point it out He's going to make it miserable for you and He's going to get rid of it. The Holy Spirit will do that. Which, sidebar, if you're here today and you think you know Christ and that experience is foreign to you, let me talk to you after church. You're lost. If that's not something that you have experienced, no matter how long you think you've been a Christian, if you have not experienced the Holy Spirit doing that to you, you are lost and you need to talk to me after church. And I I want to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will make you holy. But over the years, as He calls that sin out of you, and you live an increasingly obedient life, it's easy to forget where He pulled you out of. It's easy to forget who you were and where you've been. So that when you see someone who is now where you used to be, rather than going, oh dear God, let me pray for them. I remember what that like. You might fall into the trap of going, whew, they're messed up. Whew, they got issues. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for not making me like them. Just like all the Pharisees who came before us. You remember the, the parable where Jesus tells of two men who went into the temple? One loudly prayed, Thank you, God, for not making me a sinner like this tax collector. I tithe out of my spice rack. I give alms. I, I pray however many times a day. Thank you for not making me like him. And the tax collector couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven but said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who do you think left the temple that day justified? Be very, very, very careful 
Because 1 Corinthians 10, 12, which is on your handout, says, Therefore let him who, stand, who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. That there is nobody in this building, pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, nobody is excluded from this. That all of us run the risk of forgetting that we have been saved by grace. That Christ didn't die just on the cross for those poor unfortunate souls that live messed up lives, but you had it worked out with Jesus from the beginning. Every single one of us are messed up to our core. Me too. And I will not be shy about it. Every single one of us are dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ for our relationship with Him, and we ought never forget it. Peter forgot it. There's nobody among us too great to become a hypocrite, and we got to be careful because when we become hypocrites, other people can be carried away with hypocrisy, and that ends up, that ends up with the, the old adage that uh, goes around in pastoral and evangelistic circles. You know why some people don't come to church? Because they've been. Well, I just don't want to go to that church. It's full of hypocrites. we got room for one more. Come on. We, we, every one of us have done this at some point or another. Every one of us are sinners. And you know what the best way to avoid legalistic hypocrisy is? Remember what Jesus saved you from. Remember where you were. Remember all of the reasons that Jesus could have chucked you into hell with impunity. And then think about the fact that He didn't. Think about the fact that He died for you. God shows His great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Jesus can love somebody while they're a sinner, we ought to be able to too. Amen? There is nobody among us too great to be a legalistic hypocrite. And in a stunning turn of events... There's none of us too great to fall into legalistic hypocrisy. But do you know what? Even the least of us is qualified to rebuke legalistic hypocrisy. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, that escalated quickly, didn't it? This is no longer about who's eating with who. This is about the truth of the gospel. Paul's pointing out, this is not about dining arrangements. This is about theology. This is about whether or not I understand the gospel. This is about whether or not I know Jesus. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, well, let's just get it out in the open. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? See, Peter didn't have a problem with the Gentile life anymore. Peter had a problem with Jews knowing he didn't have a problem with the Gentile life anymore.
Now, let, let me take a step to the side here. Well, Josh, are you arguing that we ought not to have a problem with sin? That's not what I'm saying at all. What Peter was having an issue with was something that God, would, God had already told him, specifically him. Peter, I am not keeping my people separate to me and away from the world based on what they eat anymore. My people are set apart to me by whether or not they're covered by the blood of my son. Now, not by whether or not they eat shrimp. And Peter knew this. But Peter was so afraid of what the Jews who still kept those dietary laws would think that he put aside what he knew to be true about the gospel in favor of keeping his social status. Now, I hate to throw the man under the bus like this, but Peter's done this before, hasn't he? Hey, aren't you? Aren't you, Peter? Haven't I seen you with... Jesus before? No, I don't know that man. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I recognize your accent from, from Galilee. I know you're, you've been with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. No, I'm fairly certain. I've seen you. And then he began to utter a curse. I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Peter. Then he ran away crying. I hate to throw the man under the bus, but Peter's done the same thing again. I'm afraid of what people are going to think about me. I'm afraid of what might happen to me if they know who I'm associating with. Y'all, there ought to be one organization, or dare I say organism, in the world that that is not said about. That ought to be the church. Think of the dregs of society that Jesus has associated himself with. This is a room full of them. If Jesus would humble himself to associate with us, ought we not associate ourselves with others who are just as broken and just as lost and just as hurt as we were before we knew Jesus? Yes. But had a problem with these folks of social standing, these respectable, good Jewish people. I grew up in the synagogue with them. I went to Sabbath school with them. You know, and, you know, I, no, I, he, he didn't want to hurt his reputation. The truth of the gospel is that God's acceptance of them did not depend on the law, but Peter's acceptance of them did. And Paul said that's inappropriate, Peter. You're betraying the gospel by thinking that way. And then, as Paul is wont to do, verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, I read that when I was prepping this and I thought, wait, 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 wait. Since when are Jews not sinners by nature? Where did that happen? I think Paul's being sarcastic and making a point. Because the, Bible's already, the Bible already tells us. You can look at Romans 2, verses 25 to 27. This is, Romans is like Paul's magnum opus. So it explains what Paul believes better than just about anything else does. 
He's talking about circumcision. He said, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Paul already said, whether or not you are physically a Jew, whether or not you are dietarily a Jew, circumcision is only profitable for you if you keep the law. And he says in verse 15 and 16, knowing a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews had the law. The Jews had the circumcision. The Jews knew what righteousness and unrighteousness were. And do you know what? They couldn't keep the law either. They couldn't do it either. And frankly, between you and me, if anybody ought to have known the law and known that the law was insufficient to save one and change one's heart, it was Saul of Tarsus. You want somebody who knew their Bible, had it memorized backwards and forwards? Saul was your boy. He was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, taught at the feet of Gamaliel, progressed farther than any of his forebears in the traditions of his fathers, and as far as the law, blameless, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was the consummate Jew. And do you know how Paul referred to himself? This is not on your handout, but you can write it down. I'll flip over there and read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. This is Paul now, okay? So don't, don't, don't miss that. This is the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But verse 10 will make you cry. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What about Ephesians 3.8? Paul again. Pretty sound here flipping Bible pages, isn't it? To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's looking at Peter, going, Peter, this is about grace and you know it. It didn't matter that Peter had walked with Jesus. It didn't matter that Peter made the great confession. It didn't matter that Peter had seen Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter that Paul had killed Christians and that Paul had not been an apostle for nearly as long as, as Peter had been. 
Paul said, Peter, this is about grace and you know it. And you are leading people away from the gospel. Your theology is messed up. You are playing the hypocrite and it ought to stop because you know good and well that the law that you are holding these Gentiles to is not going to save them because they can't keep it and you couldn't keep it either. Now, why am I pointing all this about Paul? What's the point? What, what, what am I doing? Remember I said the more you progress in the faith, the more you mature, the more dangerous it gets for you to fall into hypocrisy? It's doubly dangerous. Okay, so the flu is going around right now. The reason this strain of the flu is particularly dangerous is because it's very quick, it, it mutates quickly. So the vaccines are not as effective against it. It changes its shape and it builds up immunities against things that we have used to combat it before. It's kind of the same thing with aging saints. As we get older and we grow in the faith that we mutate a little bit so that maybe the things that we might have noticed when we were younger, we don't notice as much when we've gone farther along. And one of the things that happens to us is we look at somebody maybe in a weak spiritual moment when we're this young in the faith and we go, well, I'm mature in the faith. I have stuff to offer them. They don't have anything to offer me. You want to know who is uniquely qualified to rebuke the legalistic hypocrisy of a mature saint? A young one. Somebody who is still intimately aware of what God has pulled them out of. Maybe because he pulled them out of it yesterday. Maybe because he pulled them out of it last year. I was saved when I was seven years old. I'm the ripe old age of 29 now. That's 22 years of building a thick skin. And do you want to know who challenges me the most when I listen to someone speak or preach? I get challenged when I see a new believer hot and on fire. For the gospel. Still tore up about their sin. Still heartbroken over it. But as we get older, what we do is that that sin that Jesus saved us from gets so far in the past, and I'm not saying we don't have our own now. I'm just saying that part of our life gets to be so far in the past that we forgot what it was like to be that person. And so we look at other people that are in that place now and we look down on them. But what happens when that hypocrisy is brought to bear by a younger believer saying, you're not what I want to grow up to be. That'll wake you up. And Paul looked at Peter and said, I don't care who you are. You know this is not the gospel. You know this is not how Jesus treated you. He was to be blamed. What makes young believers so qualified to do this? They remember 1 Corinthians 6, 11. If you go read 1 Corinthians 6 up to that point, it's a long list of sins. Sins that will condemn somebody. Which is really any sin, but a specific list of sins. 
But then 1 Corinthians 6, 11 reads, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Learning that truth and letting that truth sink deep down in your heart and not go anywhere, if you want to know how to prevent yourself from becoming a legalistic hypocrite, remember what God saved you from. And if you don't remember what God saved you from, I promise you, God will send you someone to rebuke you. And when that happens, take that as God's grace. He is pointing something out to you. He loves you. He doesn't want that to cripple you spiritually. Let that young believer, let that one you didn't expect, point that out in your life and say, you know what, you're right. I needed that. If you don't want that to happen, if you don't want the rebuke, then repent now. Repent of hypocrisy. 